I received an email from a friend one wintry morning, and it said, Whitney, in Handel's Messiah, when it says that he is acquainted with grief, what does that mean? I knew where this question was coming from, because you see, my friend and his wife had lost their son tragically in his 20s, just a couple of years before. And the depth of that grief reverberated throughout their lives, even in areas they didn't anticipate. And here it had been the season when Handel's Messiah is sung, and he heard these words and they touched him again. What does it mean that he's acquainted with grief? My response to him was that I believe that it means that he knows the depth of our sorrow, and he's with us in it. That was the fullness of my answer. What more is there to say? We see in our passages of scripture today Jesus' awareness of the loss of this widow as she's leaving the town, going through the gate to his burial. He's laying dead on what might look like a stretcher being carried out. And Jesus sees her. Moved with compassion, he touches the bier and calls this person to life. We might see this, hear this story and say, well, if God then indeed is moved with compassion, because we even see it in 1 Kings, when Elijah is with the widow and her son has now died, if God is moved with compassion, then why doesn't God always save us from this level of grief? Why doesn't God act in compassion repeatedly, consistently in the same way, responding to the grief that is witnessed in this world and stopping it? That is a legitimate question. It's the question that Martha raises to Jesus in John's Gospel, in the 11th chapter. When she meets him on the road, her brother Lazarus has just died. Now she had sent word to Jesus in a neighboring town several days earlier to tell him that Lazarus was near death. He was very sick, and she asked him to come. Jesus says, as we read it in that gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, it's not time. We're not to go now. And several days later, they do set out. And as they are coming near Bethany, Martha meets him on the road. And she tells Jesus, my brother has died. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Now I tell you that story in a very even tone with a body that is pretty st um, stationary. But I can imagine these words being delivered differently. Out of her frustration and her grief, I can imagine them with a particular amount of volume and heartbreak. If you had been here, I called for you and you didn't come. Maybe even she was so overcome with grief that she fell on him. Maybe put her fist on his shoulder and crumpled to the ground. I have seen grief that way. Jesus tells Martha 
Now is the time for me to be here. And he goes to the tomb of Lazarus. And he asks for the stone to be rolled away. And we hear the response of the crowd, cognizant that it's been several days now that he's been in this tomb. What are you doing, Jesus? And he calls Lazarus from the tomb. And here's another example of Jesus bringing someone back from death. And he says to Mary and to Martha and to all of those present, this is so that God's glory can be made known. Indeed, we do have grief and loss in our lives. If you don't know it in the examples, to the extent of the examples I just shared here this morning, you do know it on some other place on that scale. Maybe you've witnessed that loss in another person. Maybe you've had grief because of health issues and responses to the efforts that you've put forth and they haven't come like you've wanted and it changes your life. Maybe there are relationships that you've worked hard on and yet they still fall apart. There can be any number of ways that we experience grief and loss on some scale. And in each of these, we are invited to know that the good news is still present. Because you see, the good news isn't that we'll be spared all of this heartbreak, although I would like to tell you that that is it, but it's not. The good news in Jesus is that God is with us in the midst of it. And through the very fabric of our lives will bring us into the fullness and awareness of God's glory. That's the good news. That the heartbreak that we feel, the suffering that we know, the agony that we are afraid of, none of that will overwhelm us. That God is with us in the very fabric of our lives, making God's glory known. And we are set to ask, how? Where, God, is your glory being made known here? Perhaps even we don't see it. This is the good news of these stories, both in this gospel lesson we heard today, in John's gospel, chapter 11 in particular, but also in the Old Testament reading from 1 Kings and in the Galatians letter, the letter that Paul writes to that church. Because, you see, Paul had wreaked havoc on the followers of Jesus, persecuting them, actually getting permission to kill them if he found them. And his life was changed because of the revelation of Jesus to him in such a way that it became a reflection of the good news. He says it right here. I received this good news not from Peter's feet, not from James, those that were following Jesus, but because God delivered it directly to me. And it matches their good news. How could that be possible if it weren't for the glory of God? And now people are talking about that, that the one who persecuted the church is now the one who proclaims the faith, the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. Wow, look at what God can do. That's the good news. The good news is that as followers of Jesus, we remember that life is not futile. It's not some exercise. It's not some race or some challenge that we're supposed to check off. 
We remember that life is not meaningless. And we remember that nothing is wasted. Because in Christ, all things are brought into the glory of God. Even the worst that we can imagine. Even the worst that we've experienced. God takes that all into God's self and brings us into God's glory too. That's the good news. That's what we can count on. Amen.